Hey, smart mamas. Welcome to the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast, a podcast about balancing mom life and work life and everything in between. Being a mama is a hard job. We are three nurse anesthetists reaching out to support and encourage other moms with hectic and chaotic lives. I want to be a nurse anesthetist. No topics are off limits. Relationships, finance, mental health, work. And we aren't sugarcoating anything. No way or way. This is real life, real moms, real advice. And we want this to be interactive. We want to hear from you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Hey, Smart Mamas, this is Lacey along with Ellen and Crystal, and we're very excited to welcome you to another episode of Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. First, we want to take a moment to remember one of our own, Marlette, who is a CRNA mom that we lost in the month of February due to influenza. Her life touched many, and I know she will be greatly missed by her coworkers, her family, and her children. So please join us to remember her and all that she has done for our community. In addition, on the flip side of that, we want to give a big shout out to Sarah Sellers, who we had on the podcast just a few weeks ago, and congratulate her on her 12th place finish in the U.S. Olympic Women's Marathon Trials. She did an amazing job and came in at two hours and 31 minutes. She's done so many great things for the CRNA community, and she's represented us very well. We're very proud of her and all of her accomplishments. So great job, Sarah. We have an awesome episode for you today with Chris Pedersen, the parenting professor, to talk about love and logic, the parenting style. He dropped so many knowledge bombs on us during this episode, I just can't believe it. And he was able to give us all actionable things that we could take home, immediately implement with our children, and see a noticeable change in their behavior. So we've got a lot of really great stuff for you today, including how to stop a temper tantrum in its tracks and how to get out of playing the bedtime game of I need one more thing, I need one more thing, and then I can go to bed. And suddenly your children become, you know, thirsty, ravenous, need to go to the bathroom, little people. So join us for this episode of Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups, and we're super excited for all of the knowledge that Chris is going to drop on us today. Hey guys, it's Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups coming back to you. It's Ellen. I'm here with Lacey and Crystal. Hey, hey. And we have a really exciting episode for you today. We are bringing you Chris from Love and Logic. Many of you guys know his parenting style and his um, recommendations. And we all follow everything you say, Chris, to the T. And sometimes we're we're still struggling. So we need help. Um, Some of us struggle (laughs) with toddlers. Some of us struggle with teenagers. But we are all across the board totally excited to hear everything you have to tell us today. So kick us off. Tell us why we know you. And um, we can't wait to ask you all of our questions. Well, it's, you fill me up with a ton of energy and I feel special being asked to uh, be on this great podcast. And I've, I've been following you now for a couple of weeks since you reached out to me. And I know some of the parents uh, that are also on your, your Facebook group there, uh, as some of them have taken the full class called Parenting the Love and Logic Way. I should clarify, uh, my name is Chris, but I'm not technically employed by the Love and Logic Institute. I'm an independent facilitator, although I've gone through tons and tons of training through those people, but they're the ones that wear the special shirts with the special logo. Um, I'm just a dad trying to do my best. Uh, and that's kind of what I, <laughs> I joke about. But 
you know, Love and Logic was truly a, a lifesaver for me when I first started teaching. And my first job was on the West Coast. And, you know, um, I'm currently sitting here in frigid Wisconsin with, uh, you know, with this idea that, you know, we have strong family structure. And what do they say in Lake Wobegon days, you know, where the all the oh. kids are above <laughs> average, right? But it was such a wake up call to be on the West Coast because family structure was different. And there was a lot more uh, transient families that came in and out. And I knew in short order, in fact, the very first day of teaching, uh, my life was threatened by a student um, with some choice F words. Oh and he's, uh, yeah, and the threat to slit my throat. And being, you know, 23 boy from Wisconsin, you know, you don't speak that way to an adult. So I kind of pulled my finger out of my pocket and I pointed at him and I said, you can't talk to me that way. And he said, one more move and you're done. I I know. Yeah. I put the finger back in my pocket (laughs) and I remember, I know. Yeah, that would have been great. Actually, he did. Uh, He left my room and uh, I wanted to get the last word in and I started following him. And I remember this little girl in the front row, little, she was in high school, but she goes, she whispers, don't do it. And I remember I looked at her with zero skills left in my bag of tricks. And I asked this 17-year-old girl, what should I do? And I knew then, I'm like, you know what? I have to be better at this. I could teach a great lesson, but when people misbehaved, I didn't know what to do. And that really started the journey. And that was 1999. So kind of tells you how old I am. But I, I got to practice on thousands of other people's kids in the classroom <laughs> and, and coaching and made lots and lots of mistakes along the way. And you know, I, we'll probably talk about why mistakes are important as far as kids go and even as far as us adults go. But I found out in short order that love and logic is really this cool philosophy of raising and teaching children, which allows the adults to be happier. And I just thought, oh my gosh, that's what I just want to be happy. I want to not be exhausted at the end of the day. And and I wanted to be more powered in the interactions with kids. And the more I dove into love and logic, the more nuance I found and the skills and the techniques and the strategies were, were just paramount for my success as a teacher. Then fast forward to, oh my gosh, Grace is 13 now. Uh, I dare say, because you're, you're going to kill me, but life's pretty easy around here. But it's come from so much practice and, and so many mistakes along the way. So that, that's kind of my 90 second, you know, how I got into love and logic. Chris, I need to ask you real quick before we jump into all the questions. Were you prepared to become a parent after learning all this and implementing it in teaching? Or were you still, please tell me that you were still like the rest of us when we're like, yeah, we got this. And then you have a kid of your own. You're like, what on earth am I supposed to do with this thing? Mm -hmm. So I was telling someone earlier today, I I was uh, subbing, you know, most of my day is spent working with adults. So I, I work and consult with tons of parents. And then I travel and speak and talk to teachers all over the region and, and nationally a little bit now that the kids are older. But, you know, I'm, I'm still a stay-at-home dad and, uh, and a husband. And those are the two roles that I, that I really spend most of my time focusing on. Today, I was subbing at a middle school, middle school science. And I remember talking to a teacher who was a friend of mine, but she had a parenting question. And she mumbled under her breath, we should have to have a license to become a parent. <laughs> exactly. And and I thought, you know, that's pretty interesting and as a health teacher, I remember my one of my other jobs when I first came back to Wisconsin was 
in the health education classroom. And we watched a video called a license to parent. And I thought how, you know, this, we have a license to fish or to like, uh, drive and to hunt and to, you know, we have a license. We can't even sell lemonade at the end of our driveway anymore without a license. And, and I just thought it's the most important job, right? It's the most important job. I reflected back today when grace was handed to us after day three and, and my wife works in women's health and I'm supposed to be a parent educator and a teacher. And I remember walking out the door and I looked at my wife. I'm like, I don't even know this thing. What do we do? <laughs> like, what are we going, what's going to happen? Like yeah. what happens now? And then all of a sudden you're a parent. So especially early on, I, none of this helped me like super early on. And it wasn't until, you know, they started pushing back and pushing boundaries that love and logic really did help. And, and I truly could reflect back into all those times. See, I spent so much time in the middle school, which, you know, you know, middle school, right? Seventh grade boys, they're basically like toddlers with hair. Yes. And <laughs> so totally. I, hopefully that doesn't offend anyone. I'm sorry. No, not, no, not us. No, so so I don't know. I don't know if that really answered your question, but yeah, there, there are times when I'm like, oh boy, I teach this stuff and I have no idea what I'm doing. Okay, good. So then that makes me feel like you're more human. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so Chris, uh, just today, I when I got my daughter, the teacher told me she had behaved very badly and she's six years old that day. And they had to write her How up. How can that be? Six years, six year olds <laughs> are like cherubs, right? But then they look at me like, I'm supposed to do something, which I, I'm the parent. Clearly I'm supposed to, but I wanted to look over my shoulder and see who she was talking to. Cause I don't know what to do. Sure. Sure. You know? so, so I'm really, one, one of the guidelines, one of the guidelines I always remind teachers and, and principals and parents as well, not always, but I like school issues to be handled and dealt with at school and home stuff to be handled and dealt with at home. Ideally, right? Ideally, it sounds the same for that child. Do you know what I mean? So right. that if little Tommy leaves my house, and, and I call this concept flattening the threshold, if little Tommy leaves my house and gets on the bus, and he's a knucklehead, and Bob, the bus driver, handles him in a way that he thinks, huh, that kind of sounds like my dad. And then when little Tommy leaves the bus and goes onto the playground before school, and Mr. Mike is out there, and he's a knucklehead at the playground, and Mr. Mike handles him in a way, and he thinks to himself, gosh, that kind of sounds like my mommy. And then he goes into the classroom, and Mrs. Johnson handles him in a way that's very similar. And if we can flatten all of those thresholds, you guys, if we can keep Tommy and Sally and all of our kids as authentic to who they are, where they don't have to be on, all right, I, I got to be on the bus. I'm the bus Tommy, right? And I got to be the playground Tommy. And I got to be the uh, lunch guy Tommy. Well, when those change and we're not authentic, as, even as adults, right? We're not just, we're not really reaching our potential. And I, it's my belief and Love and Logic's belief, if we can flatten those thresholds, then it's really only then that we can truly allow that student, that kid's brain and soul to flourish. And really that's been my mission. I pulled out of teaching, I pulled out of coaching basically to just spread this mission of mine about being better with kids. So Chris, this love and logic parenting style sounds amazing. 
But what is it? Like, what is it about this style that makes it effective? Yeah, its effectiveness comes from this concept that language shapes reality. Uh, And that's really the three words that it's kind of like the umbrella under which love and logic resides. So language shapes reality. And for example, you know, let's just, you know, I'm here, like I said, in Wisconsin, and it's cold. And the old part of me, you know, the old teacher or the old dad would have been like, hey, it's cold outside, put your coat on. Well, you get your boots tied, you're going to trip and fall, right? And we know that that language, for some kids, they're like, oh, gosh, you're right. I I don't know what I was thinking. But you might know some kids that are like, yeah, make me. Yeah, you can't make me. And we know that phrases like, um, you better, you should, you must, those are unenforceable. So love and logic kind of twists that a little bit, takes a different approach and makes our word, what I call, we turn our words to gold, meaning we can enforce them. So let's look at, Tommy, I let kids outside when they're wearing their coat. I can enforce that. True? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, I notice your shoes are untied. Continue playing with your friends just as soon as that's fixed. That's enforceable. Right. I serve lunch until 1230. That's when the big hand is on the six. I can enforce that. Right. So one of the things that makes this different is that it makes our yes mean yes and our no mean no. So if if the umbrella of love and logic is language shapes reality, the foundation is absolutely creating what I like to call bulletproof relationships with kids, whether it's students, neighbor kids and especially our own kids, relationships that are based and grounded in authentic and and unconditional love, right? They're not manipulative. They're not coercive. uh, But the foundation is absolutely about creating that relationship. And, you know, then we learn when those two things are in place, we learn some techniques like the uh uh-oh song and the energy drain, um, little things that are simple and practical. But really, it starts with the language. And it definitely starts with that foundational relationship. I would love to hear the uh uh-oh song. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, maybe we can say separate, we can put a, a link. Separate. Yeah, we're going to have to put a link to that. You're going to have to show us where we can find this because I feel like it's made for my one child, Benjamin, who says, uh oh, but he just, says it before he does something bad. Like he doesn't say uh oh to an accident. He says, uh oh, and then he takes his food and dumps it on the floor. Mm. Almost in a yeah, taunting so- fashion. <laughs> We can put, right, we can put, we can put a link to the uh uh-oh song. It's a pretty cool technique. A a lot of people think uh, it's kind of a version of a timeout. Uh, Sort of. It's not. It's more of a, it's more, eh, it's just different. And actually, I could send you a video on that as well. But the key, the cool thing with the uh uh-oh song is that uh, Dr. Faye, Dr. Charles Faye and Jim Faye, the creators of Love and Logic way back in 1977, along with help from like David Funk and uh, Dr. Foster Klein, uh, they did a lot of research on how, how this language lands on the brain. And the uh-oh song is cool because we kind of sing it. We use the same songy voice. So my girls heard something like, you know, after, oh gosh, I, the very first time I remember, Grace grabbed some peas. She's in the, her high chair, right? She grabbed her peas. So she's like, I don't know, nine, 10 months. And she threw the peas on the floor. And she looked at me and her thought bubble was, what are you going to do, dad? 
I know that. You look. don't know. Do you know yeah. that look? Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And if you're not on your game, you kind of look at the child and you're like, "I'll just pretend that didn't happen." So how do you react in, to that? So we do the "uh oh" song, and it sounds like this. It sounds like "uh oh," looks like a little bedroom time coming up. This is so sad. And then we give. There's a lot of steps there. It, it's a. It's kind of a long process. What? Let's do the link thing. But the cool part is, is that we sing it and. That's really for us as the adult, because it's hard to be angry when we're singing, right? Yes. Yeah. Great point. Oh, yeah. I think I could totally use that because sometimes I feel like my own frustration gets in the way of me effectively parenting. Oh, so we for use sure. the uh-oh song, but it more comes out like, uh-oh. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, we're trying to sing it, but it's it's not singing. It sounds like you're growling it. Yeah, it's, yeah. An, it's an angry, <laughs> angry singing. And then, it's like heavy um, metal. Yeah. <laughs> and then we use it so often, unfortunately, probably because, yeah, we use it with our four-year-old a lot. And it's now gotten to the point where he will do something that's naughty and our two-year-old will go, uh-oh, time. Oh, my God. Right. Uh-oh. Good. Maybe he's yeah. catching on. She's understanding. You know, and that's a great, that's a great point too, Alan, because you know, I'm in the middle of the uh, six-session class over in Minnesota right now. We're on week uh, five currently, and week five is all about handing problems back to our kids and letting them solve problems. But someone brought up in class uh, on Sunday, they're like, oh, man, you know, I'm starting to hear this language come back. And, and I'm like, well, what do you think about that? And they're like, oh, it's kind of irritating. It kind of bugs me. And, and I know this, this mom, and I said, well did you ever yell at your kids? She's like, Oh my gosh, I used to yell all the time. And I'm like, did the, did your, did your kids ever yell back? And she's like, Oh, did they ever, they yelled back all the time. And I'm like, well, which one would you rather have modeled? Right. Which one would you rather hear in return the yelling or the love and logic language? And she just looked at me and she's like, all right. <laughs> she's probably looking at you like, why must you make so much sense? <laughs> I know. It's so easy. It's so easy for me, right? When I'm not in it. I can solve everyone else's problems. But when I have a knucklehead kid, I'm like, I look I look at someone else like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, we <laughs> exactly. were just saying that. We were yeah. just saying that. It's just, it's hard to, right when you're in the situation, to come up with the right words. You know, you're angry or frustrated or in a rush. And it's like, okay, how do I word this the love and logic way? Because when you read the book or take a class, it's, it's just like perfect. It's like, oh, I could be the perfect parent if I could, you know, implement right. this. But then it's hard to do it on the spot. What do you recommend? It is. Yeah. You know, it's so technologically advanced. I recommend these things called sticky notes. And, and I recommend starting really, really small, like starting with not getting into power struggles with kids. So a sticky note that I had uh, in my starting back in my classroom uh, said this, I respect you too much to argue. And I had that in like three key places in my classroom. And then the other, another tactic we use or skill we use with love and logic is going brain dead. Because I don't know about you, but kids in Wisconsin, they don't stop like the first time. I mean, we have sayings about this, right? If I've told you once, I've told you what? A thousand times. A thousand times. Mm -hmm. Thank you. A thousand times, right? I'm like, oh boy, I don't know. Maybe they don't have that saying. <laughs> um, in Minnesota, it's a hundred times. I was told in North Dakota, it's if I've told you once, I've told you twice. And it's just That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it, it's too cold to repeat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, so 
we stop the power struggles and then we go brain dead. And my other sticky note was uh, I had two of them. Uh, two. The first one was I know, but Mr. Peterson, you know, you're the meanest teacher. I know. Oh, we never have homework in anyone else's classes. I know. Dad, come on. All the other, fr- all my friends are getting $200 pairs of shoes. I know. Right. Cause I'm not yeah. going to go brain dead. I'm not going to get stuck, get sucked into that power struggle because aren't kids so good at throwing, I call them like argumentative hand grenades. They just, <laughs> they just like pull the pin and they launch them. And when they don't work, see, kids are super efficient when they don't work, they find something else. Mm-hmm. So our job another is grenade. Well, that happens too, but pretty soon they, they realize grenades aren't hit. And see, wise parents and wise teachers, we kind of we kind of make our yes mean yes and our no mean no always. And the kid realizes, man, when I'm sweet, when I'm acting kind, when I'm being reasonable, life around here is pretty good. You know, mom and dad are pretty fair. They treat me with a ton of respect and they don't blow emotional gaskets very often. You know, I'm not going to say never for sure. I mean, I still yell and but I try not to. And that's, that's got to be in a book somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't be perfect. No. I definitely I want to hear your answers to some of the questions that Lacey was kind enough to write down for us, though, because we have some topics that keep coming up. And I know our sure. listeners are going to be really thrilled to hear these. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all heard about the terrible twos and how the three-nager is way worse than that. And so can oh, we yeah. talk about handling toddler, preschooler, temper tantrums, and when those power struggles really get started, and how are you supposed to break that? Great one. Yeah, well, let's be ideal. Can we put our idealist hat on for a second? Sure. So ideally, we don't allow tantrums to be the option, okay? I mean, but most of us, it's like, yeah, that cat's out of the bag. True? True. Yeah, I don't understand how you can do that. Right. Yeah. You're like a ninja. I didn't think that was an option. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, remember, I practiced for years on thousands of others' kids. So um, I I got to practice for sure. And it does. It takes so much practice, you guys. I've taught the class, I've lost track um, like three or four dozen times. And I still make new connections every, every class. So it's. It, it's a process. I don't want to tell you that to sound daunting. I think it's more a reflection on my ability to learn, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but going back to those tantrums, first of all, we mentioned this, stop the power struggles. Don't engage into those verbal power struggles that no one on the face of the planet ever, ever, ever wins. So I like using the phrase, I love you too much to argue. And most of the sentences are going to be like, but mom, I love you too much to argue. And we it's this calm, kind of drawn out, kind of monotone voice, right? Mm-hmm. And and we can start that. I mean, I started that with Grace when she was throwing the peas on the floor. You know, it was throwing a tantrum I'm like, oh, sweetie, love you too much to argue. And then I'd sing, uh-oh, looks like a little bedroom. It wasn't really bedroom time at that young of an age. I had a little pack and play over, over by the piano, by the plants. And I'd say, uh-oh, looks like a little pack and play time. Come out when you can be sweet. And the first time, it was minutes. And it was like tearing my heart out. I'm like, oh, this stuff is terrible. But she learned in short order, throwing peas doesn't work. 
poking the dog or hitting the dog with a book, it doesn't work. Sassing back doesn't work. Throwing things in the toilet, that doesn't work. That makes her life a little bit difficult. Reasonable, right? But difficult in a loving yet firm way. So tantrums, stop the power struggles, and then go brain dead when your kid starts throwing those argumentative hand grenades. So that's kind of the first the first two points we always we always talk about. Okay, have, so that's the start. I have a couple follow-up questions to that. I'm not sure where you stand on this. I've read a couple different books and some of them really encourage like the one, two, three method. So like when she was throwing peas, obviously, do you let it yep. go one, two, three, or do you do you only reserve like an immediate timeout? or uh-oh time for times when they're hurting someone or themselves. And the mm-hmm. second part of that is once they're in uh-oh time, do you follow the one minute per year of age rule? Yeah, the one minute per, per year of age is, is interesting, isn't it? So let's start there. Do you know a three-year-old that can calm themselves down in three minutes? No. Mm-mm. No. no. So I can't Mine you certainly a- can't. No. Right, right. And, and especially early on, right? So I, I kind of gave you a hint. Um, oh, looks like a little bedroom time coming up. This is so sad. Feel free to come out when you are being, what was the word I used? Sweet. 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 So when does he come out? When, when he he's thinks sweet? he's being sweet. Yeah, when, he, when, when he's being sweet and then love and logic. You know, this is the one of the few things that they kind of get prescriptive with. This one and handing kids the problem back, uh, that's class five. Those are the things that they're like, yeah, don't don't deviate from this, especially to start. So uh, Jim Faye, will, he tells some great stories while teaching this, but he'll be like, come out when you can be sweet. And then he adds plus, you know, two or three, maybe four minutes to just kind of prove that they can they can keep it under control. Because do you ever know a kid that will go into uh-oh, or uh-oh bedroom time, be like, me sweet, me sweet, me sweet. <sighs> right? Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know that they're not ready. So uh, with a kid like that, we give them choices about the door, whether it's going to be open or closed. And we say, come out when you can be sweet, plus, a, you know, two or three minutes. And we could even set a timer on a phone or use an egg, you know, one of those old school egg timers. And, and then when they're, when they come out of the bedroom, you know, I don't know that that's the best time to do like a lecture or get into rationalizing. Now, I hope you learned your lesson. Um, because the consequence was, when you're a knucklehead, you go away for a little bit, get yourself together. They have all the power and control, right? We're not making them sit there for 10 minutes or five minutes. They have the power and control. And then when you're back, we want you back as soon as you can handle it. And we give them a hug and a kiss. And we say, we're glad that you can handle it. And life goes on. And then we cross our fingers as love and logic parents. And, and uh, we, you know, we kind of go to prayer and just say, please let this one mess up a lot while they're young, right? When they're still at home with us, because, you know, we know that the road to wisdom is paved with countless mistakes when the cost is small, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Did I answer your question? In yeah. There? You had a good yeah, question. You, to- you totally did. I just always, like you said, no three-year-old can calm themselves in three minutes. First of all, I feel like those three minutes are usually just torture for me to hear him screaming right. the whole time. And then um, I forget my other part of the Oh, the one, already. two, three. The, the one, two, three. Oh, yeah, counting to three. Do you count to three? Do you reserve an immediate timeout for like instances when they're hurting themselves or someone else? Do you like how do you handle that? Yeah, I I, I don't like to talk count to three. I, I just um I kind of want to just mean it. 
the the first time. Now, if we're going to talk about the uh oh song, you know, there's a lot of things we can do before we get to that point. You know, let's say a kid is uh you know, trying to help with dishes and they get the egg beater and, you know, you're making bubbles. I don't know. And I know I love to do that, but you might know a child that just really takes that, you know, and they're trying to score a 10 and they're, they want to get the, and it gets to be out of control. Mm -hmm. So we might just say, Oh, we're going to use this another time here. Use the wooden spoon, you know, so we're going to interject some other things, but there are times like when it's violence or personal safety or uh, Dr. Charles Faye talks about a time when his son came out when he was about four years old and uh, was brushing his teeth and he just turned around and smacked him right in the kisser for no apparent reason, you know? And he oh was my. like, uh-oh, looks like a little bedroom time. <laughs> you know, that's where, that's where you don't, there aren't many options, right? The thing with one, two, three is one, it's so tempting to go one and then some words, two, and then some words, two and a half, mm-hmm. oh boy, two and yeah. three quarters. Uh-huh. And I just, you know, and I just feel like, I just feel like we don't set the kid up for real world stuff. And the truth is, it's just a lot more work for me. I don't want to keep track of counting. Now, <laughs> I know some great people that use one, two, three magic, and they find it a, a lot of success. I just worked with a school district. Uh, that was full blown one, two, three magic at the elementary level. And we just went through a series of workshops to kind of convert to more of a love and logic model. So let that land where it lands. The one, two, three counting does not work for my son. I don't know if it's just his stubborn personality, but he like, will start counting and we'll say, okay, one. And then he's like, like last night we were like, okay, buddy, if you can eat, like, you got to eat one bite of this, you got to take a no thank you bite, and then we can be done with oh, dinner. Sure. But you got to try everything. So he was, he was going to do it, and then he kind of went, no, I don't want to. So then my husband started counting, and he goes, one, and my son picked up his fork and dug it in and put it halfway to his mouth, and then he turned and he looked at my husband, and he watched him, and then my husband goes, two? And then, like, there's a standoff now. And then he goes, uh-huh. three? And then we went, Oh, but it was more like, uh oh. <laughs> right, right. Well, you I have up a, a great point. Go ahead, and then I'll talk. Sorry, I'm, I have I'm a, doing too much talking, you guys. No, <laughs> you're you are yeah, you're here. Perfect. We want to hear you. Yeah, I just wanted you had mentioned in an ideal world, we never want to get to the tantrum, right? So, what type of sorcery do you have to <laughs> kind of predict <laughs> and prevent a, a tantrum? Yeah. So a lot of a lot of prevention for tantrum. Hey, the best parents, I promise you, their kids will still have tantrums. It's a human, it's human nature, but I think they're very short lived and they're maybe not like the typical, you know, full blown snot bubble on the belly in the grocery store tantrum. I know a teenager uh, in, in our, in our house that I know really well, who had a small little tantrum and uh, all of a sudden she just left and she came back and I'm like, whoa. Uh, where'd you go? She's like, I was mad. I'm like, oh, anything you need? She's like, no, I'm I'm fine now. And I'm like, oh man, it, she's so ahead of that curve. That's amazing. Right? I know my, well, my brother is a, a police officer and, and he works with, as you can imagine, he's on a campus uh, university. He's like, I, I have 20 year olds that have full blown tantrum meltdowns like a toddler would. And he's, he goes, I can't help but laugh at them. And that doesn't help. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I probably don't want to do that. 
Um, but getting back to your question about prevention, you know, I talk about language shaping reality being the umbrella and the foundation being relationships. Something I didn't talk about explicitly is this concept of empathy. Empathy is really neat because empathy keeps us in like prefrontal cortex, right? Not to get all geeky science on us, but all of our decision making is done in kind of the upper lobe prefrontal cortex of the brain, the right and left hemisphere communication. And when, ki when kids are kept in that part of the brain, they're in what we call the thinking mode or the thinking state. We keep them there longer and more easily when we work with them with empathy in our voice. So you'll hear a, th a lot of phrases that start with, oh, oh, or bummer, oh, bummer. Or I had a kid today, uh, a special ed student uh, in the EBD classroom. He was throwing a fit and he looked at me and I'm like, oh, this is so sad. And he's like, what? I'm like, unbecoming of you to be acting like that. And he just thought he stopped. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> but em empathy really opens the, the heart and the mind to learning. Anger and frustration shuts that door. Yeah. So that's, that's really powerful. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. I like really just thought about that really hard when you said that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So th that, that's kind of the one of the prevention pieces for tantrums is empathy, listening unconditionally, right? Building that foundation uh, relationship that's not based on if you do this, then you get this. No, I call them like carrot dangling. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So a lot if you of, eat a lot your of, one bite of dinner, you get dessert. <laughs> right. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And then the other part, the other thing we should talk about is choices and choice theory. Choices are so powerful in limiting tantrums. And I know one of the other questions was about bedroom. Bedroom time? Did I, did yeah, I read that right? Totally. You, we need all the help. You want to slide into that? Because yes, I yeah. Okay. Yes, please. We actually have this come up probably daily in the group. Someone saying like, is this normal for my three-year-old, for my three-and-a-half-year-old, for my two-year-old, for my two-and-a-half-year-old? Nobody's children want to go down without a fight. And I don't mean like on the topic of crying it out or whatever. We're more talking about like when they start getting towards the bargaining and negotiating phase of, well, one more drink. Well, let me do this. And I don't know if you've ever read that book, Don't Let the Pigeon Go to Sleep or Don't Let the Pigeon Stay Up Too Late. Um, no, I, I don't know that one. So cute. It's by the same uh, author who writes those pig and elephant books. I forget what they're oh, called. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So it's this book that says, Don't Let the Pigeon Stay Up Too Late. And it, the pigeon is like bargaining throughout the whole book. Like, oh, let's do this. Oh, I don't even want to go to sleep. I'm not even tired. And mm -hmm. I said to my husband today, I said, Michael is the pigeon. My child is the pigeon. I understand it now. I totally get it. And so what can you tell us about that? The bargaining, the struggle that ensues every night. Teach us everything you know. Uh, well, don't you know that kids, um, their thirst mechanism only clicks on like after 7.30 p.m. <laughs> yeah, right? and with their pajamas on. thirst. Uh -huh. I mean, it's and, like and deadly. <laughs> oh, deadly. This is awesome. You know, so... <laughs> Just a couple thoughts here with sleep and bedroom time. There are certain things we cannot make kids do. One of them is eat. We've covered that a little bit, right? The other one is like poop and pee. And then the last one is sleep. And if we could just figure out how to like genetically code a child to just do those three things, 90, <laughs> what? 95% of our problems are gone. True? Life would be Which so boring. 
Which is funny because that's the only things they can do when they first come out is eat, poop and pee and sleep. (laughs) Yeah. And they do it really well. They do. And they learn in short order that they can control that. The adults can't control what goes into their face. It can't control what goes, you know, like what they learn either, what goes in between their ears. Um, Wouldn't it be great if you're just sitting there with a child and, and you have this healthy, awesome meal and you look at them and you say, Charlie, it's food eat it. And Charlie goes, father, that's what this is. Wonderful. And he just eats (laughs) and it's weird. Or, or, or you're on the, you know, you're doing potty training and you're like, Sarah, that cold thing you're on, that's a toilet poop. Really? That's what I'm doing. I mean, that would be, that'd make life so easy. And, you know, the same thing is with sleep. We can't make, can you just picture Little Ellen in the bedroom is like, Ellen, go to sleep. That's why I'm in here, Dad. Okay. <laughs> yes. I had no idea. <laughs> so we talk about bedroom time versus bedtime, right? We talk about bedroom. To this day, my girls will ask me, can we extend bedroom time today? That doesn't mean they have to go up there and sleep, but it means basically this. Kid time is over. It is parent time. Now, in a house I know really well, that might mean, you know, we watch a little TV and take a nap before bed, but it just sends this message to the child. You are so important that we're going to ask you to go to your bedroom, do whatever you need to that doesn't create a problem for anyone else on the planet. And we need to focus on each other because that's even more important than our love for you. All right. Do you think that that's a strong thing to model for kids? Yeah, oh, I think he'd be really confused. Say that again. I think he would be really confused if I said something <laughs> like that instead of being like one, two, sure. three. I he would just not. I think he would literally just be speechless. Sure. I'm so gonna we're going to maybe speechless enough to go to sleep. Yeah, maybe he'd be so confused he would just fall over. Yeah. Well, we got here because we're talking about choices. So I did jot down a couple things because I figured bedroom time would come up. Um, The first thing we always advise is have some slowdown time. I think most of us are really good at this. Limit that screen, you know, that blue screen stuff. We, We know some of the science behind that. And then I really love to get into this concept of like a lot of choices. I think of it as a bank account. We put in a lot of deposits into this bank account of choices. Do you see where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. And, and with choices, we have easy, easy two rules. One, provide two options that you're deliriously happy about. Do you want to eat frosted mini wheats or would you like scrambled eggs for breakfast? I don't care which one, but those are your two choices today. And then the second rule is if a child can't choose in a pretty short time, now a little bit longer when they're young, you know, but under five to seven seconds at the, at the most, because, you know, we used to say like 10 seconds, but do you know a kid that can wait like 9.5 seconds before they say anything? No. <laughs> no. no. Uh, so, so what we like to do is we give, we give two options that we're okay with. And then the, the second rule is we choose for them if they can't or if they choose not to choose. So I, you know, with bedtime, sweetie, would you like to go to bed now or in 10 minutes? Now, you might, might be wise to say that, you know, at 7.50, for example, if bedroom right. time is 8. But 
And then he, if he says, uh, in an hour, oh, bummer, looks like 10 minutes. So we make the choice for him. Notice my empathy there at the beginning. Oh, this is so sad. Looks like 10 minutes. Sweetie, would you like to brush your teeth um, upstairs or downstairs? Uh, upstairs. And pretty soon, in short order, they're going to start realizing, okay, things are different here. I better start making some changes. And I like, I know a dad that has real fun, a lot of fun with this. He says things like, do you want to brush your top teeth first or your bottom teeth first? <laughs> and pretty soon the kids are like, dad, I can't make any more decisions. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm exhausted. <laughs> do you want to, right. Do you want a story first or a bath first? Uh, would you like to go upstairs with on, with a piggyback ride or would you like to walk on your own? Would you like one kiss or two? And so we kind of ease down our time and we remind the kid, you know, child time's over. It's now parent time. And they're going to, if they're worth their weight in, in salt, they're going to be like, but, 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 oh, sweetie. And I love you too much to argue. And I even like something like this. Here's a phrase that I've I've advised some people to say. And it sounds something like, hey, kiddo, d didn't you have lots of choices today or tonight? Didn't you make lots of choices? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I get to choose now. Thank you. Bedroom time. Mm, I like You that. are blowing my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's like I'm sharing, sharing I'm, the choices. Yes. I'm so hypnotized by this. I'm like, I hope this works on my toddler. <laughs> oh my I, there's God, a handout. Amazing. There's a handout called Ending the Bedtime Blues. I think we should probably make sure we all have that. Yes, we need to publish that everywhere where our listeners like live because yeah. that's one of the main questions we get all the time. We'll put that in the files section and in the show notes. That sounds yes. great. And I, yeah. I can email it to you. Perfect. Thank you. So let's fast forward now, what, a decade, a little more than a decade, and we're going from three to, what, 15, 16, and talking about teens and, you know, there's a whole different set of struggles that go along with them. What can you tell us about um, our parents who struggle with teens, Chris? Are we friends? Yes. Yeah. All right. You're my I best friend right now. I want, oh, <laughs> I want to change the word struggle to gift. I okay. And I know I hated that. At first, I'm like, these aren't gifts. They're little snot-nosed kids, and they need to be told what to do. But, <laughs> but really, when our kids make mistakes, when the costs are small, those are gifts. And they're gifts, if we want to be selfish, you guys, they're gifts to us so that we don't have to parent them when they're 20 or 23 or 32 and living in our basement. So that's oh, a God, call, you're so right. I call True. that a gift. So let's go into... Let's go into some, some ideas and just let's do like these four tips on working with, with teens, you know, 12, 13, 16, something like that. And, and let's kind of assume that we've done a pretty good job with the enforceable statements when they were younger. We allowed our yes to mean yes and our no to mean no. And we've taught them that relationships don't have to be manipulative. And, you know, Grace learned that if I run through the kitchen with wet feet, you know, that's a bummer. And if I po poke the puppy in the crate, that stinks too. And if I write all of these countless mistakes when the costs are small, so that when they're teens, right? And here's the first tip. We want to teach our children that their poor choices lead to their unpleasant consequences. And it's this idea of cause and effect, cause and effect thinking. Like I said, I was subbing today at a middle school. And I heard a lot of young people saying, you made me do this. 
Well, I think the the younger we learn that so much of what happens, you know, to us, to them as young people is really up to them. And I think the earlier we can learn that, the better. So that's the first one, cause and effect thinking. Any thoughts there? I think it's a really good way to look at it because it gives them the understanding of accountability and responsibility. And I think those are two really, really big areas of breakdown during those years. You know, I've seen several different pictures of variations of a billboard in a school with mirrors and it says like, meet the person responsible for your happiness, your success, your choices, your, you know, whatever. And that's, I think that's really powerful. And I think that that concept is really catching on. Yeah, because finger pointing is definitely something that I think we all went through at that age. Mm -hmm. Um, You try to pin your problems on everybody around you. It's your fault. You're ruining my life. You you know, all this stuff that you say as a teenager. So I love it. I love that logic. And what, what a rough lesson you could potentially learn as a kid in your 20s you know if you didn't learn that as a teenager you know you yeah, could really- it's my risks. boss's fault i don't have a job right. anymore not my own because i didn't show up to it yeah those are life changing right mm-hmm. when it's oh uh my sock is wet that's not life changing that's an inconvenience but when you have you know 5000 of those for example and i we could get into the science behind that but we won't but when we have thousands of those episodes of cause and effect thinking, we up the odds that they take less risks, less uh, life challenging, life sometimes sadly life ending yeah. risks, and and that's what we don't want to see. And sadly, every year we see a college kid that is not under the you know helicopter or strong gaze of their parents, and they'll do anything to prove that they're in control, and they drink too much and they die. Mm-hmm. And that's just unbelievably sad. It is. Let's it get is. off of that. Let's get yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you do you believe uh, that kids who are given more trust from their parents and therefore a little more freedom, as long as they don't break that trust in these teenage years, that they go on to live a little more responsibly than the ones that are like super controlled by their parents and not given the opportunity or the freedom to, you know, live. And then they go crazy sure. at the set, at the first time that they smell freedom. You know, trust is so weird because it's earned, right? And it takes, yeah. takes thousands of episodes to really build unwavering trust. Sadly, it can be broken by one. Uh, and that's a bummer too. But, you know, I, I think you're, you're spot on with what you're saying here because because trust is is being built hopefully through the younger ages you know and that when a child is given some a little bit more free reign right that can be super that can be really effective but i think the key then is that when they do mess up we allow their problem to be their problem we guide them to solution we certainly don't bail them out and we certainly don't handle it with anger and frustration, um, especially in the teenage years when we can be empathetic and model empathy. Uh, it, it's just, it's such a, such a gift, such a gift to give kids. I don't know if there's a time in our culture right now where we couldn't use a little more empathy. Yeah, so totally. true. So Chris, I'm really in- interested now to know what your second tip is. <laughs> the second tip is avoid power struggles over friendship choices. Mm. You mean like who they choose to be friends with? Yeah. Yeah. 
Even um, if they're like the bad kids? Like the, the yeah, like the drug dealer tattooed <gasps> holes in their head. Yeah, that'll almost always backfire. So again, going, remember the language. Have we talked about language at all being important? <laughs> <laughs> so we Once might, right, we, we might use language something like, we might say, oh, Tommy, oh, man, that new friend you have, what's his name? Leatherhead? Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, now here's the key. I'm kind of having fun here, but here's the key. How lucky he must be. How lucky he must feel to have a good friend around him like you. If anyone could help him make better decisions, it's you, Tom. Oh, wow. But what if Mind he helps Tom make bad decisions? Yeah. Then we'll deal with that. Yeah, I, we'll I deal with see that. what you're getting at. I totally see it. It's like reverse psychology. Mm-hmm. Well, it is. But the truth is, I want to empower Tommy. I want to tell him, I trust you. I believe you. No kid named Leatherhead can undo all of the love that we've given you in the last 16. One kid can't undo all of that. You're right. Usually kids that fall into that are looking for something. Certainly. Certainly. Those are the kids that I invite over. Hey, have Leatherhead. Why did I choose Leatherhead? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Leatherhead. (laughs) I promise that's made up. (laughs) I love it. But have them come over. Have them come over. And that turns into people like teachers saying, hey, what about, what about Charlie? They could use a little bit of Peterson love. Aren't you having a bonfire soon and roasting some hot dogs? I'm like, yeah. So we just invite them over and, and that goes on. But I think getting into a power struggle uh, over friendships, you can't control it. I mean, what are you going to do? Shackle the kid to a tree? Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. And I guess then they just start but lying look, to you, which is even worse. Right. Oh my gosh, Brie and I, Brianna's my 10 year old. We were just watching before we got on uh, an old episode of, of uh, Little House on the Prairie. And it was about this pa that was like, you are not going to see that boy. And well, she just lied, lied and snuck out. And you know, that's in the 1880s. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Things haven't changed, right? Things haven't right. changed. You're right. You're All right, number right. three. Are you ready for three? I'm ready. And I covered this really in number two, send positive messages about the child's ability to make good decisions. We want to tell Grace, we want to tell Bree, we want to tell Tommy, and we want to even tell Leatherhead, you, you got this, you can do this. I love this phrase. Hey, I see that this is a struggle. If anyone can figure this out, it's you. You can handle this. If you need some help, I might even inject some humor here. I say something like, if you need some help, go talk to your mom. She's really good at this That's stuff. That's so funny. I love it. <laughs> I, love, you know, I love how you can take a potentially, in a parent's mind, disastrous situation. You know, your kid's hanging out with the wrong crowd. You know, mm-hmm. the world's coming to an end and shift it and have a mindset of, excuse me, mindset of positivity and, and bring, you know, the potential bad crowd into the good crowd and make yeah. the whole situation better. I love that. Yeah, you empower them and you almost, instead of alienating them, you create a better community. I love it. I feel like some of this can be used on my spouse, too. Oh, my gosh. Don't tell, don't tell dads this. Yeah, it works. It <laughs> I can see you're struggling. If anyone can do this, you can. That's no, totally the no, right see, answer. No, hold on. That I, dishwasher, no, you can overcome You can that. overcome <laughs> No, it has to be genuine. It has to be genuine and it can't be sarcastic. Oh, so, damn. That's like I'm my, my love language is sarcasm. Oh, I hear you. 
hear you. Um, the, la- the last one is kind of specific, actually, and it has a lot to do with negative peer pressure. And it's this idea, and I started this with, with my kids. And as a coach, even, I started this early, early on, like third grade. And it's this concept of allowing your teen or your child to use you, the parent, as the bad guy. And I teach kids, I I do some stuff on refusal skills as well. So I travel and speak to students, um, middle schoolers especially, about what I call how to be a cool refuser, keep your friends and maintain your dignity. But one of the lines I, I use in there, or I teach kids is, oh my gosh, you know my dad, he would absolutely kill me if he found out. And I think allowing and just giving the kids permission to use us as the bad guy, as the scapegoat is a real gift as well. Yeah. I, like I love that. that one. Totally. A hundred percent agree with it. It gives them an out. Uh-huh. It gives them an out. Better said, better said. Yeah. I love it. Can I ask you one last question? I know we want to wrap this up. I don't know if the um, girls also have one big one they have left to ask, but I just have one I need your input on. Sorry, I can't um, hear you. We're losing disconnection. Oh, uh, you're so funny. <laughs> no, go ahead. Shoot. Okay. All right. So my kids are really close together. I have a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and they're both boys, and they fight, and they're really dealing with – they don't fight. I mean, they're like toddler fight, and they really right. have a hard time with sharing. So yeah. what age do you start the uh-oh stuff at? Because I know the other stuff that I've looked at had said like 16 months is too early for timeouts and stuff. How do I handle this? Do I separate them? Does everyone get an uh-oh? Um, Here, here's the rule. Here's the, here's the general rule. Can, can we just stay su- super general? Yeah. And, and I love that you, you kind of clarify, well, they don't fight fight. It's like toddler fight. And I'm just yeah. picturing your kid like pulling out the brass knuckles and the numbs. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm at it. Give me club. back G.I. Joe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they they do slam line. each other's heads into the coffee table, though, unintentionally. But oh it does happen because they're rolling around. They're leatherhead in the making. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my kids are leatherhead. Oh, my God. <laughs> We got to save them now, them to Ellen. Is this, is this always this much fun? How do you, this is crazy. This is awesome. We I don't know ourselves. who gave us a platform to talk on. I don't know who this was. Right. I, so I'm going to send you a handout called Ending Sibling Rivalry. Yes. But to get to your question about the uh oh song, here's my rule of thumb. And I, and I mentioned it earlier. When little Johnny can sit in his high chair and grab his, you know, overcooked mushy carrots and be like, yuck, and throw them on the floor and then look at you mm-hmm. for a reaction, mm-hmm. right? When they're looking at you being like, what are you going to do? That's the time to start. Oh. For most kids, for most kids, we're talking what, nine months? Yeah. Ten mm-hmm. months? Yeah, Chris, you're yeah. right, because I shared this. I think I shared this last week. I'm not 100% sure, but literally you just described my life. The other day, this is quick, my husband was like, I'm going to introduce Ben to the idea of timeout. So he was doing, so- oh, he was banging a monitor or something on the table while he was eating. So my husband was like, one, two, three. And he said, and Benny, on three, we take away the monitor. So we took it away. Mm-hmm. And Ben, who's 16 months old, looked my husband dead in the eye and said, one, two and on three he <laughs> swatted his food off the table fight words. and i was like oh words. i think he just won yeah <laughs> yeah so i wow. think he's ready huh he's he's ready for the uh-huh. uh-huh. it, it, raise your hand if you think he's ready yeah well you yeah, can't i've see got me. all four limbs up <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's another quick question i think crystal did, had sorry, a situation 
did I cover that enough for you? Yeah, that was awesome. I'm totally going to start singing uh-oh to him. Although he sings uh-oh all the time to me. So who knows who's going to win that But one. Alan, here's the deal. Make sure, make sure I send you a little video clip and then the handout because we kind of glossed over it. There are some specific things I want you to kind of wrap our heads around before we yes. try it. You're going to give us so much reading material. I'm so excited. Let me just <laughs> ask you one quick question. So I had that incident today at school and it wasn't a huge thing or life altering. It was just bad behavior. It was dealt with at school. Then do I punish at home? I mean, what do you, what's your feelings on punishment? Grounding, no screen yeah. time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we learned about a technique called the energy drain. I'll send you that info as well. Re- remember, I, th- I hoped I said something like, let's keep school stuff at school right. and home stuff at mm-hmm. home. Now, if I have a, a teacher that calls me or I, we email back and forth and I spend, oh, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, that takes a lot of energy out of me. Agree? Right. Mm-hmm. And isn't that about the amount of energy that I had to, you know, dust the living room and clean the toilets. Or, or that left. sounds about yeah. right. <laughs> and, and wouldn't it, and maybe clean up some of the dog poop that's starting to show up with all this melting. Mm-hmm. And, and wouldn't it, wouldn't it just be nice if we can be like, oh, sweetie, you know, I, I, I t- notice the empathy. <sighs> I talked to your teacher today and, oh, the, you know, I love you. And this is so sad, but um, I, they're just going to handle this at school. But it took a ton of energy out of me dealing with that. And um, if you could just, you know, have, have the toilet cleaned or what's appropriate for six, have, have the living room dusted and, and all the toys picked up, that, that would put a lot of energy back into me. So just have that done. And we don't say now, we give a future deadline. Just, just have that done by dinner time and, and, and we'll be good. So, and I'll, I'll give you more information on that, but that's called the energy drain technique. And it's kind of a generic, a generic consequence, right? especially when we can't think of a logical consequence or if the logical consequence is just too big. Right. I like it. I like that a lot. I like Thank it you. too. And it also gives yeah. them, like you said, again, a choice of when they're going to do it. But that yeah. they have to and do then it. you get your house dusted, you know, when, when. <laughs> and they, and it's kind of, this, and it's, it's not like, a punishment because they're handling not, this at school. Yeah. Yep. And it's not punishment and it's, it's, it's really restitution. It's a, oh. it's a based on model of restitution. When I make others' lives inconvenient, th- there's a consequence to me as a person. Sometimes right. it's, you know, sometimes it's loss of friendship, but, you know, as we can't just get rid of our kids, so. <laughs> we can't stand <laughs> Chris, well, I am you know, loving this. I'm loving this, but I'm going to need your direct phone number. one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 888 yeah. yeah, exactly. Get a life. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. You guys make me feel like I have a clue what I'm saying. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're well, just making you this can, all up on the You know the what line. you can do? Can I can I do a shameless plug on my No, Facebook we page? we were just we were just you. about to ask yeah. you about that. So please tell us how our listeners yeah. can find you. I think the easiest way is go if you go to Facebook. I'm not super technologically, I can't even say it, advanced, but um you can find out a ton of what I've been up to and what I'm doing as far as traveling and speaking on on my webpage and that's theparentingprofessor.com and if you go to Facebook uh and and just type in the parenting professor you'll find my page and I post stuff probably too often I think sometimes it's overwhelming but typically if a parent calls me or asks a question and I send them a resource or come up with maybe an answer that I'm like wow that sounded good 
a lot of times I'll throw it on my Facebook page because I know they aren't the only one. And that's, mm-hmm. that's just the model I go after. So if you connect there and uh, I think you, if you hit like or something like that, that you'll see when my next classes are coming up and how to get a hold of me if you want to bring me to your community. And, and just, you know, my vision is so simple, but yet so difficult. And, and it's really this. And if I can share this with you, I, I want to influence the development of the next generations, plural, of world-class citizens. And if we start with now generation, we're stopping a cycle of helicoptering and we're stopping a cycle of drill sergeanting. And that's my goal. That, and that's why I chose, thank, thank, thank you for my wife who's making it work that I get to go down these rabbit holes. And, you know, I'm not a business guy and I don't make much money, but I feel driven and my bucket's full. Aww. So how do you put it? And I'm I super available for my own family, you know, and how do you, that's put amazing. That's I number one. I'm following you yeah. right now. Oh, that is thanks. an awesome. Yes. You just got Chris. two new followers. Oh, thank you. I guess. So that brings <laughs> a total to five. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't no, looked. What, what is it at? I You're like 2,000 something. That's amazing. Oh, wow. Awesome. Well, I've been, I'm stubborn. It's been 10 years. <laughs> wow. I love it. What are your thoughts on uh, teenagers and jobs? Do you think that they should have jobs or do you think that school should be their job? One of the biggest things we know is, is that when kids have healthy and meaningful contributions to the family, aka chores, right? They, they're, they're more responsible young adults. They're, they do better with grades. They do better in school. This connection between being a pivotal piece of the family unit and being successful when they grow and mature, we're seeing a direct connection. And Love and Logic Institute is spending so much of their time really focused on that piece. If in your family, grades are important, and I don't even want to get into that discussion or debate right now. As a teacher, I've totally kind of flopped, flip-flopped on, on that. If grades Kids are, are not old enough to get grades yet. <laughs> yeah, right. So if, if grades and school success is important and they can handle it, and they're also handling the contributions at home and doing well and staying healthy, then I think a job is appropriate. I know a girl who's doing some babysitting for extra money, right? Because she's they next year they go to Disney World for marching band as a freshman, and she's going to raise fourteen hundred dollars to get her butt down to Florida. Wow, that's That's awesome! Yeah, yeah, cool. The uh, one thing I know that I've seen about chores is NPR had a big article on. how like naturally like children like young toddlers try to do chores and and help with things but generally like if we don't like embrace it and let them try then they just lose interest and stop trying and don't want to participate anymore and then you know you reach a point where you're asking them to do chores and they're not willing to do it because you kind of put the kibosh on it when they were young and interested and they've been criticized and it's not good enough and that goes back to that foundation of relationship being rock solid, not manipulative. I love you because you're you, not because of what or how you do things. And I think the research, if I remember, is like by the age of three. Mm-hmm. So that, what does that look like? That means, oh, oh, free, free. I got to get this garbage out. I, I, and, and she's toddling, right? And she's got just the corner. 
just the corner, right? And I'm like, oh, and I, and when kids are little, I love like thinking out loud, talking out loud. Whew, I don't know if I can lift this. Oh, me help, me help. And they're barely, you know, they're doing nothing. Mm -hmm. But we're just like, oh, it's about the process, right? And we get it into the garbage can and we both wipe our brows and, and, and we're like, whoo, boy. Yeah, is you that celebrate a little success. Mm -hmm. It's that nice to get that done. Oh, kiddos, we got to pick up all these pine cones. Man, who, who can make the most from way back here? And, and we turn it into a little bit of fun. And, and, you know, are there times when we do a little bit of that? And then, and then honestly, I need to be like, all right, girls, mom needs to get help inside. And I'm like, I just got to get this job done because I'm so <laughs> sick. Right. But yeah. The, now, but now the, it's time to unload the knives from the dishwasher that we put right, on the top shelf. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, so we want to refrain from like fixing things in eyesight. Nothing will turn a kid off to working and being a part of the family if they feel like they're doing everything wrong. Yeah, I love that. I um I didn't even realize that that was something that you technically should be doing. I just know that my kids love to help and um you know, my 3-year-old in particular always helps me with laundry. He loves throwing it in, he loves putting the pod in and oh, yeah. you know, pushing the button and Perfect. getting all the clothes in. So it's a way to get them to I think um you know, people have told me like, oh, he's too young. I'm like, but he wants to help and it gives him some kind of feeling of success and empowerment. So I'm going for it. And being so, part of the team. Yeah. Being yeah. part of the team. I always remember my grandma. She was so good. In fact, I remember when I was about 10, I remember going to my parents and being like, is grandma okay? Because I don't think she can do anything without my help. That is she, so. <laughs> she made me think, like, oh my gosh, Christopher, if you weren't here, what would I have done? And I'd be like, Grandma, it's okay, you can do this. And oh, she, that's adorable. Sure, I know. I'm sure she had to been just laughing her tail off. Um, but but here's your sticky note. Here's your sticky note. I love this concept, and, and it changes from age to age, and 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 kind of stage to stage. It, it's this idea that if a child can do it, a child should do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's my example from tonight, and I'm not sure that I did this right, but I was cooking dinner over the stove. So obviously it's hot. I'm cooking raw meat, and mm -hmm. my two-year-old is standing right next to me trying to like stick her little spoon in and help me do it. Sure. So I gave her a little dish and she stood next to me and she like pounded in her little dish while I like pounded the, the meat in the stove. And so cool. she was helping, but she was like, I didn't actually let her help me. So I hope that that sure. stuff counts. <laughs> well, you touch on the concept here of doing things right or not doing things right. Because if we say, did I do this right? That means that there's a wrong. And that's something we just, we never say. Um, I think I probably, you might've heard me say something tonight. Like I use the phrase wise parents. Mm -hmm. Well, wise, I don't say good parents or bad parents, but wise parents. Well, why did they become wise? Cause they screwed up a lot. Right. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why, wise parents just figure out that they learn what their kid is capable of doing and they learn what they can trust their child to do. So, and, and then we say a lot of things like experiment with experiment with, you know, one of those Play-Doh knives. Experiment with one of those plastic Play-Doh knives and like a mushroom because anything mm -hmm. can cut a mushroom. And what a great skill to have. One of the big things I'm really thinking about in the last couple of years 
is this concept of what do kids really need to know to be successful and healthy in life? And I'm, I really love to cook, right? But I'm like, if a kid learns how to cook and then takes that and, and, and you know, really dives into it, the skill of cooking has such a, a tremendous impact financially, health-wise. Think about social health, mm-hmm. having friends over. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I cooked in college. I made money doing it for people because they're like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> like, you, you buy the stuff, you know, let me eat and I, I'll do it. And um, I just think this concept of cooking and doing it, doing it well and, and is such a healthy thing for kids to learn. For sure. I love it. Thank you so much. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the uh, Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast. This has been an awesome episode and I have a feeling we're going to have people with more questions after this. And uh, so they can find you at theparentprofessor.com or go on Facebook and find you at the parent professor on your Parenting. website. Parenting. Parenting. The parenting yeah. professor, yeah. excuse me. You got to make it a verb, right? Anyone yeah. can yes. be a parent. Anyone can be a parent. It takes a lot of love to be a father. Yes, it that does. Is that true. is so true. We are going to put all of this in our show notes and definitely um, add links to the documents that you share with us that um, I've been keeping track of. So I'll send Perfect. that to yeah. you. Yeah, sounds great. So yeah, this was amazing, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing Absolutely. all your knowledge. And we might have to get you back for a part two because you have a lot, a lot of great info to share. Heck oh, hey, definitely. I, I got to give kudos to the Faze and Foster Klein uh, out in Colorado. You know, th- they're the ones that do this. They just give me the platform and, and allow me to, to, to do what I do. So it's awesome. Well, awesome. guys, is there anything else that you want to say before we wrap it up? Any other questions, ladies, or anything else, Chris, that you want to get out there? I feel good. Okay. Yeah, I feel like if I keep going, we'll be here all night. Oh, I can, for sure. Oh, my so gosh. For sure. Yeah. But this, I tea, def- this tea will have to turn to wine, so I don't know. <laughs> Mine already did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, girls, guys, everyone that listens to us, we want to thank you all for tuning in again for another episode of Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. You guys know you can find us on Facebook at Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Hey Smart Mamas. And we are so excited to be bringing you Chris and the ideas of love and logic. And uh, tune in for the next episode. We always have great content coming to you. So thank you so much for your support. Don't forget to subscribe, share, review. Um, I forget all the other things, but do all the good things. Tell a friend. (laughs) And uh, we love you guys so much. Thanks. 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 Bye. Be kind.